So in these, like entering the temple and the, uh, all this, uh, this atmosphere, the, the uh, atmosphere, the feeling of a temple is it is focused on the Buddha Rupa, which is a sign, isn't it? It's an icon for awareness. So when we built this temple, we didn't want it to be a lot of kind of baroque decoration or highly cosmetic, uh, glorious uh, filigree, but uh, simplicity, things that, that tend to calm the human mind rather than stimulate it or excite it. Because what impinges on our senses does affect our emotional state. So the architect, when he he wanted to use just this kind of natural materials like the green oak, the pillars, the the bricks on the wall, or the the walls themselves made a kind of handmade bricks rather than manufactured ones. Things like this, uh, how did they affect consciousness? You know, and all I can say is I can know how it affects. me, you know, when I come in here, how it affects you, you know that, I don't know how it affects, how it, how it impinges and the effect, emotional charge or whatever is uh, that you, that you're experiencing, because we can only know from, from this point here, from the, we are incarcerated in these human forms for a lifetime, So it's getting to know and understand and work with this, uh, this sense of individual human position that we're each one of us is in as a as a separate form, an entity, a human body. Uh, this, the words like here and now, like the <clears throat> taking this, these are suggestions to the mind rather than commands or doctrines or beliefs. They are words, words are conventions, but this, this reminding oneself here and now. Puto, entering the temple, entering and leaving, and then the, the Buddha Rupa is Puto, is to pay attention, be awake, alert. Now, in building this temple, we've, you know, its main purpose is 
is, is you know, in, we used to, before we had this temple, we'd meet in the sala, where that's a space where we eat and socialize, have tea, pujas, etc. So just entering uh, the sala has a, a different kind of effect, even though it has a, its main focus maybe is the Buddha shrine, or maybe for some of you, the servery. <laughs> but uh, here we've, we've avoided eating in this temple, making it a place where we uh, socialize uh, or have tea or things like this, because it does, we, you know, our conscious of memory, we have memories, we have, it affects how we see this how it affects consciousness in the individuals. So then Bhutto is is a skillful means. Buddha awakened consciousness. Consciousness is, uh, you know, we can, you know, you can be crazy and still conscious. You live in a totally kind of paranoid world of your own creation, uh, and you're still a conscious entity. But you're creating all kinds of uh, you know, fears or assumptions or whatever into consciousness. So, you know, the animal realm's conscious. This is a conscious realm. And it's, uh, and, and then the forms, the karmic forms that we're born into, uh, determine, you know, they're, they're all conscious like dogs, cats, human beings, same consciousness. But then the comic form, this is, this isn't doctrine, this is just a reflection actually. But notice how, I remember when we were in uh, Sydney a few months ago, Ajahn Panyasaro and I, Sydney, Australia, and, <clears throat> and, uh, this very nice lady took us to a Chinese uh, restaurant, very famous place in Sydney to have our meal. And we were sitting at a table, uh, and above us, above the table were all these, uh, were these big uh, lobsters and crayfish in a tank, you know, live, live, uh, really weird, strange forms, uh, you know, according to my perception. I'd sit there and I'd kind of look up at these these ridiculous looking creatures in this uh, tank of water. They were alive. They were going to end up on somebody's table. <laughs> but uh, I think, what, you know, this is, it's a, it's a conscious form, isn't it? A crayfish or a lobster. <clears throat> And yet his form seems to be all over the place with these funny legs sticking out here and there and eyes that bug out of the head and it's, you know, to, 
to the human perceptions of what's, you know, normal and beautiful. This is a very strange kind of creature. But this, like reflecting on how form does affect, you know, it's our karma, our karmic form. You have a lobster, you've, you know, that's your karma. A dog, a cat, a mosquito. And then we, we reflect on the human form. And of course then the Buddha Rupa is a, you know, is a, is an iconic form of a human, human form that's awake and aware. So that's the, you know, this is the, the, uh, why the human birth, the human karma is considered uh, so fortunate. Because we, in this, in this birth as a human individual, we, uh, we can reflect, we have a reflective mind, a Buddha mind, in other words. We're conscious, just like the, the crayfish in the tank, the form affects what, you know, how, you know, if we're going just by the instinctual procreative survival mechanisms of different species, how they manage to survive and, and procreate their species. Because we've got the same instinctual nature, survival, procreation. We're not that much different. Our form isn't that much different from a chimpanzee or a gorilla. And so we have the, the world of apes and monkeys that we can, you know, they're not that much different in form. Shape of the body. But then, in Buddhist terms, it's a reflective mind. Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, ability to observe, witness, experience. So say, we live in this realm of greed, hatred, and delusion. This realm is this, this realm of conscious forms. It's survival of the fittest, isn't it? It's about, you know, we have to eat, eat each other, and things like this. We're all consuming eating, surviving through, you know, through eating animals and, different, you know, cannibalism is considered uh, very immoral in the human moral perspective. But when, when necessary, when there's no food at all, we, we tend to move into cannibalism too, because you can survive on human meat. But then the reflective ability, I don't know, not being a dog or a cat, I don't know how reflective they can be. But I know from this point here, this form that I call my body, and the ability to observe it, observe the body and the uh, mental conditions that arise and cease, the emotional state, 
the uh, feelings, thoughts, views, opinions, fears, desires, all forms of uh, you know sexual desire. One can observe it. We, one can you know recognize there is this kind of uh, feeling in the in the in consciousness at this moment, or it's not there. That's why celibacy is possible, isn't it? <clears throat> if if we couldn't do this, then there'd be no point to being celibate because we we couldn't help ourselves. But in uh, in the human form, we can choose, you know, a life of celibacy, monastic Buddhist monasticism, because our relationship to sexual desire is no longer we're no longer just helpless, helplessly uh, bound into this instinctual drive to procreate the species, but we can observe it. That's the Buddha, that's Bhutto observing. And so this is, when when I use the word reflection, some people, you know, used to constantly ask me, what do you mean by, is that thinking? Is that, you know, are you thinking about something? Thought is not to be excluded, but it, it's not like analytical, it's not analysis, it's not judging, it's not critical, but it's observing. So there's a, to, to reflect on consciousness. You know, it's not, uh, we're all conscious at this very moment, every one of these body sitting in this Dhamma hall. So we don't need to, you know, it's not something that you you uh, find, but it's something you recognize. You know, so it's, it's not a matter of, you know, I remember trying to, you know, in, in because of those strong intellectual tendencies, wanting to define consciousness, going through the Pali dictionaries and, uh, you know, how vijnana is used in Pali and in uh, context of Abhidhamma or suttas or whatever. <clears throat> and as if, as if consciousness was, was something, uh, you know, that I was looking for in a library. And then suddenly the, the insight came, you know, what am I going to the library for, looking in a dictionary, when I'm conscious, there's consciousness now. And when I start thinking about it, what is consciousness, then notice the thought pattern has a, you know, according to your culture, your education, your tendency, karmic tendencies, you, you want to figure it out with words. Or just being aware, consciousness is this. Now, when I'm doing this, consciousness is not like a mystery, but and we're we're right in the like you're we're in the middle of consciousness, 
But we can still, if we think about it, form views and opinions about it and all that, then we're not, we're, we're still conscious, but we're attached to the conditioning, language, uh, concepts, perceptions, words, views about consciousness, modern scientific views or Buddhist views or whatever. Now the, the thinking mind, the thinking ability is, is limited, you know, it, you know, we, people that are just bound into conditioning, they're just conditioned, they don't, they can't get beyond their conditioning, they operate always from views, opinions, feelings, uh, and the conditioning that they've acquired in this life. So it's, uh, you know, we can, we're just kind of helpless victims of the, of the uh, conditioning we've, we've acquired. And then in, in this endeavor here, it's like this retreat, is to, to be the knower of conditioning rather than the conditions. So be, Using consciousness, but informing in our consciousness with wisdom. Because usually we've, we've informed, we use consciousness as merely, you know, to acquire knowledge about things. Reading books, uh, getting information, operating from uh, the conditioned habits that we have. And seeing ourselves always in limitation of personality, of being this person, this physical form, the Sakya Ditti Silabhata Bharamasa Vichikicha, the first three fetters, you know, bind us to the, the world, to birth and death. We're, we're limited by the very form, physical form. We're so identified with our own body that we, we have no perspective outside it. So it's, one becomes the center, you know, me, my feelings, what I think, you know, total kind of self, self-centered, a created sense of self that is the center of everything. Life is happening to me, what I would like it to be, what I don't want it to be, what I fear, dread, hope, expect, So contemplate this. It's, it's like, can I say my consciousness is separate from yours? I can say it, you know, I've just said it in fact. <clears throat> but in that perception of thinking that my consciousness and your consciousness, that this is language, isn't it? I'm using the my consciousness, which separates me from you. That's what language does. It's about, uh, you know, it's about, it's divisive. Language itself, thinking is division. When we're attached to thinking and we just think about ourselves and the world, then the world is always something separate. And, and one creates this sense, the illusion of a separate self. And the separateness then leads to all kinds of suffering because 
you know, we suffer from loneliness, from, uh, you know, we want, we have this kind of intuition, uh, an intuitive sense beyond the self. But if we just bind ourselves to perceptions, memories, forms, conditions, material conditions, emotional ones, or psychic ones, there's always this, uh, out of just heedlessness and ignorance, then there's always this sense of division and separation. Because that's, that's what thinking does. When you're attached to conditioned phenomena out of ignorance, then one sees from that ignorance, interprets all experience uh, from ignorance rather than from wisdom. So this Bhutto is awakening. You know, it's a, it's a imperative to awaken. It's like, wake up. The word Buddha is about waking up. And it doesn't mean just waking up to your true nature as a person. Because that, you get caught in the, you know, all the analytical value judgments of right, wrong, good and bad and and the limitation of thinking being attached to thought. So this is why mindfulness, this word mindfulness, sati and sampachanya, the gate to the deathless, <clears throat> there's the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, now that, those words can be just abstract, you know, they're negations of their opposites. Condition and then you negate it, unconditioned. But then in this chart that we've been doing, there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. It's a statement, isn't it? That there is ati, ati bikuwe. There is, because the unborn is a statement of fact. It's not, according to what I think, there is something probably called the unconditioned. It's not, you know, speculative. So I'm just taking, it's, you know, trusting in the, in the Buddha's wisdom, certain amount of sadha is necessary. And the Buddha said there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. So then, self-inquiry or investigation, isn't it? It's a, what is that now? There, there, there is the unborn, uncreated, unconditioned now. And if it's not just a, a, a philosophical abstract idea or some kind of metaphysical state, what is it? You know, then, the, then you get the messages in the scriptures, the suttas, you know, the, the gate to the deathless, mindfulness, path to the deathless, apamado amatabadang, mindfulness, heedfulness is the way to the deathless. 
So, and then this isn't a, a matter of faith or believing, but of observing. From this, not through trying, through conce- conceiving anything, but awakening. So, you know, there's just pure puto awareness, you know, just pure consciousness, consciousness in this state of kind of poised attentiveness. It's empty. It's not personal anymore. To bring in the personal, then I have to start thinking about myself as a person, about my body, about my feelings, my views and opinions. Now all the problems of the world are about views and opinions, really ignorance and views and opinions that come out of ignorance. So, so wisdom, truth is silence. Doesn't say anything. And noise is what the world is. It's about what I think, my feelings, you and me, and right and wrong. It's all about division, preference, prejudice, bias, fears, cultural conditioning, religious conditioning, and all and all like that. It's just, you know, there's, why, why can't we ever have world peace? Why can't in like in, uh, in the Israel and Palestinians, why can't they just rationally, you know, resolve their conflicts and be reasonable with each other and uh, try to be kind and compassionate, understand the human factors. Uh, and, and of course, we can, because we're not, I'm neither Israeli or Palestinian, so emotionally I can be quite distant from it all. I know what they should do. I know what the Israelis should do and what the Palestinians should do. You know, if they're just being reasonable about everything and compassionate, but the conditioning is such that, that reason and compassion don't have much to do with it. It's, you know, identifying with being Israeli or Palestinian. What that kind of uh, cultural conditioning is, I don't know because I don't have it. But it's obviously very strong. A sense of separation, isn't it? If there's Israelis and there's Palestinians. One threatens the other. Or say, gender, male and female. Strongly identified with gender. Or views about gender. But what is gender? It, you know, the, it's, a, it's a condition of the body, isn't it? Condition that, you know, the male-female conditions, different. Even though <clears throat> the ideal for the age is gender equality, there's nothing equal about gender. It's all about difference. That's what gender means. 
if they were equal, then we'd be all the same. But in, in this is about, these are words defining something, separating, dividing, uh, observing the differences. When we identify with the gender, then we become that, become male or female in mentally. We, we, we attach to that perception. Now, consciousness is, doesn't have gender. Consciousness, pure consciousness is not, is not male or female or Israeli or Palestinian <clears throat> or European or Asian or anything like that. It's like space, isn't it? Space has no doesn't belong to anybody. It's here and now, you know, when you look at visual space, it's here and now. I can't say we I can go around saying my space, so I can that seat over there in front of the shrine. That's my space. But that I'm creating a sense of owning the space. But actually space doesn't have, you can't own space. You can think you do, but you know, space is, has, it has no boundary. Nothing to own it. Except it is, you know, without space there couldn't be forms. You know, there's, it has to depend on each other, form and space. <clears throat> so we own the forms. We tend to own our forms. Like even when we think my space, it's really what I'm saying is that's my seat. That cushion there and that triangular pillow, that's mine. Ajahn Samedo's. So I'm defining the form in the, that's there. Well, this is pointing out how you know, how we do create this sense of, uh, that's mine, me and mine, and you can't sit there without my permission, because I own that uh, mat there, and that triangular pillow. But the space is the space where you are. It's not that any different, is it? And you're sitting in the, on a chair in the, back to the temple or the space here. Space has, you know, has no quality to say that it's mine or yours. So this is like a reflection bringing into, to, you know, informing our conscious moment at this time the way things are. So we're not operating always from emotional habits, from prejudiced views, from opinions. Or assumptions, just assumptions we have about how things should or shouldn't be. Then words like equality, everybody wants to have equal rights, equality, everybody, you know, this is an ideal. But conditions are not equal. The reason why they're conditions is because they're different. 
Some are bigger, smaller, better, worse. That's the nature of conditioning, is that, the, that it's all about difference, about quality, quantity, about beauty and ugliness, good and bad, right and wrong, heaven and hell. The conditioned realm is all about change. That's where, you know, the equality is, is that the characteristics, anicca dukkanata, of conditioned phenomena. They have, the, the, all conditioned phenomena have the same characteristics. But condition, conditions themselves, the form, the created, the condition, is all about differences, quality, at which convey differences, quantity, and so forth. Now this is like reflecting on the way it is. This is what we're doing in, in like in Vipassana meditation to be able to get a perspective on the conditions from the unconditioned. So that which is aware of conditions, you know, the awareness, mindfulness of conditioned phenomena isn't conditioned. Because what unconditioned can't really you know, you can't reflect, one condition doesn't reflect on another one. And these are words like condition and unconditioned, isn't it? It's not. But there, now I'm using thoughts and concepts and language not for grasping, but for pointing, to, to remind me, to say, reflect on this. What do we mean by condition? Because we say, Sapay Sankarani, all conditions are impermanent. Or Sapay Tamanata, all Dhamma is not self, non self. So this, this body, you know, which I can claim is mine, when I, when I stop doing that, start investigating that this body is like this at this moment, I'm reflecting on, I'm not, uh, judging it or criticizing it. I'm just observing. There's an observing mindfulness of this physical form sitting here. It's like this. And that's not me being mindful unless I want to state it. You know, I'm saying, I'm very, I'm, I'm meditating on my body now as merely maybe a way of talking. But the reality of the moment is to be aware of the body as an object is to step out of owning it into just being the observer of it. Awareness of the experience of the physical form at this moment, here and now. Or the breath, you know, anapanasati. Or uh, the state of the mind, the jitta. What kind of mood are, are, can you witness now, in, you know, that you're experiencing when you're observing just the kind of emotional 
mood that, that's present, that, that's observable, which would be different in, for each one of us. But the mood isn't about difference, about my mood is better than yours or anything. It's not it's getting a, being ridiculous, isn't it? But it, it is, you know, even if the mood is a bad mood or whatever, unpleasant, it is what it is. And it's anicca dukkanata. That which it observes the mood is not that, is not self. Zanata, non-self. Observing the mood which tends to be identified with self. My mood, my feelings, my happiness, my despair. So there's consciousness informed with wisdom. And that's a, this is like a wisdom teaching of the Buddha. So the teachings are not for grasping, therefore they're, they're expedient means for investigating reality in the present, observing. They're reminders because, you know, to, to keep reminding ourselves, here and now, Dhamma, the body, the breath, the mood, sound of silence. Now, in the thinking mind, we're so highly conditioned to, uh, to think and be attached to our thoughts and views. And uh, they have, uh, you know, this is an age where everybody's opinion is, uh, is equal. So you have, like on Radio 4, they have these um, programs where everybody can phone in uh, their opinion on like euthanasia or abortion or homosexuality or whatever. And they're all over the world, you know, uh, from Brazil, from Kenya, from Australia, <laughs> BBC Radio 4. And, uh, and everybody has opinions about, you know, should, you know, about euthanasia, for example. Should we, uh, is it, you know, like somebody has a fatal illness, uh, should they go, is, is it murder if they, somebody helps them to die? And I think that these are moral issues with strong views and opinions from all over the world. Different religious views and uh, modern scientific views, whatever. But they're conditioned views uh, and everybody's opinion now is uh, equal on every issue. So, and, and then the internet, these blogs, and all that, everybody can, can uh, enter their views and opinion on every issue. Now this is, now I don't know how, I'm not judging this, but it, it is where we, where my individual opinion is, is, is of great value. 
how I feel about something, my view. And you should respect my opinion, my view, is the assumption. Attitude. We all want to be fair, you know, so we might have to listen to some opinions that we find offensive. But it's also a time for being politically correct. So we're trying to give our opinions without particularly trying try not to offend anybody in doing it. Though the age is a kind of strange one where we have to say rather ridiculous things to not to avoid any kind of offensive language that might, somebody might be truly offended by if voiced out in public. So, you notice this is all about views and opinions, cultural conditioning, modern attitudes about, you know, I have a right to my opinion. And then there's views now in the freedom of speech, to be able to say whatever you want. And at the same time, there's political correctness where you shouldn't say whatever you want to say. So is it, you know, uh, can we, you know, like uh, talking about other groups as evil or, or uh, you know, using racist language or whatever, is offensive. If words like racism, sexism, ageism, all about, you know, trying to, to uh, you know, kind of not face reality, not really see things, but try to make life something, you know, so it that we have this sense of self-importance and everything is, everybody's equal and everything's fair. <clears throat> now that's certainly, you know, has its advantages over, say, particularly operating from very biased views or very, you know, my view is the right one and, and if you don't agree then you're wrong. But to point to a view and opinion is attachment to particular perception in the mind. Now in mindfulness, there's, there's non-attachment to any view. So this is why it's like nothing at all, because it's not about, it's not, it's not like, you're just uh, rejecting all views. It's not a negation or suppression of views. It's a transcending that function, the thinking mind, the formations of thought and conditioning to reflect from the unconditioned conscious reality of this moment, which is the same for all of us. That isn't personal, it can't be divided into male or female or anything else. Now that is the escape from dukkha. From suffering, because in that unconditioned reality, then the, the conditions are no, we're no, no longer 
being deluded and and overwhelmed and blinded by our attachments to the conditioning we we have. We can see it in perspective. It is what it is. Now this is for reflection, you know, to observe, you know, to kind of encourage you to investigate. And this discerning then is uh, is a wisdom ability. This is a wisdom path. That this is about cultivating wisdom, which is not, you know, so it's not a kind of just let go of everything and be a blank zombie. It's about discerning things, using, developing, cultivating intuitive intelligence that has been almost forgotten or dismissed or not noticed or never recognized in modern society. You know, and so we're endlessly struggling trying to straighten out all the problems of race and gender and religious differences and all that through just attaching to views and, and then uh, and then trying to work out some kind of reasonable solution to problems between Israelis and Palestinians or men and women or whatever. You know, it's like juggling the conditions all the time, being caught in trying to, to arrange them. So, you know, they they suit everybody. If we can arrange all the conditions in the right way, you know, so it doesn't offend anybody. So that all the conditions are displayed in an agreed way where everybody uh, is, nobody is offended and everything is what everybody wants. And of course that's impossible, isn't it? It's totally impossible ideal or expectation. Because we are the owners of our karma, heir to our karma, born of our karma. We, you know, we, we're not born to be reasonable and fair. We're born in the feeling realm with karmic tendencies, with cultural conditioning, with uh, karma being a woman or a man of being young or old, you know, karma of, of different racial identities, class identities, only like that. It's just, and these are all differences. We're trying to arrange the conditioned realm so it doesn't offend anybody. Is you know, a hopeless task. So, this, say, this retreat is pointing at a way to that that differences on the condition plane are no longer problems because we're we're coming from the unconditioned rather than from a conditioned view about you know what I how I would like the world to be about how I what I want you know I want to a fair, democratic society throughout the world, everywhere, you know. I'd like to see uh, in, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, in China, in India, 
United States, Soviet, Russia, everything. We have, we have the same fair, totally innocuous, totally, uh, you know, acceptable condition, organ, organization of conditions that pleases absolutely everybody. Nobody's offended. Is don't, don't waste your life hoping for that. So in, in this, uh, in this realm that we're living in, you know, we have our own differences, karmic attitudes, karmic inheritances. It's not about how, what we should have as karma, it's about the way it is. Whatever your, your conditions might be. And whether you, you consider them good or bad or something else and, and consider them yours, then you, then you create a karmic attachment to the conditions. But if you're willing to, to, uh, let go of conditioned phenomena, to observe it, have this perspective. Perspective on conditioned phenomena can only come through the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. And recognize, it's recognizable, there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. Ati bhikkhuwe ajatang aputang akatang asankatang. So in this, what I'm pointing at in these reflections is, and you know, continuously pointing at for you, encourage you to trust in awareness. It's a, you know, I can't, Make you do it, but pointing to it, to trust it. And if you have to recognize it first, because it's not trusting in an idea of awareness or mindfulness. Or I'm not asking you to have faith in the, in in the abstract concept of the unborn, uncreated. But what I'm encouraging, trying to encourage you to do, is trust your awakened ability to observe the body, the breath, the mood, and of course in the sound of silence that gives us that perspective because once you begin to appreciate that then that gives that transcendent perspective on your feeling or your thought or view or body, breath. All the conditioned realm is seen from from a no longer from just uh, being caught into the conditioned realm but, but not rejecting it either but having a perspective on it that isn't coming from cultural biases, religious biases, personal preferences. Where all those, those conditions can be seen in perspective, like religious biases, like Theravada Buddhism, or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever bias we have, whatever preference, religious convention we prefer is, uh, can be seen in a very personal way, or it can be seen, it's like this, you know, Christian or Muslim. 
Or it also gives perspective on our own views and opinions about other forms, other religions. You know, our own religious biases and prejudice against other religions. Or our own feelings about Theravada Buddhism or Thai forest tradition. Whether we, we like it or have complete faith in it or we, we, we feel offended by some of its images or attitudes that we can see. We, the important thing not try to make it so that everybody likes it. You know, that everybody, it, we're not trying to brainwash you into kind of a patriotic attitude of we're the best team or, you know, of all the Buddhists, we're, we're the tops. We've got it right and the rest are all slightly off. Because any convention has its warts and its flaws. But in this perspective uh, from the unborn, uncreated, then the conventions we use, you know, they're for expedient, for mindfulness, not for, we're not, we're not like trying to make them perfect so that nobody is offended and, and then they fit every ideal that everybody has about what they want from Buddhism. So, in, and this... Uh, using this this particular tradition here, Thai forest tradition. Then various other Theravada Buddhists say, well, we don't have to cling to the Thai forest tradition. We're Theravada Buddhists, not Thai forest tradition. And so then you, you, you know, you tend to uh, form views about Thai forest tradition, which you might believe in and support, or you might feel offended or you be critical of. But the important thing is to be the knower, you know. So this this convention, this tradition here, the way it's presented is like this. You know, there's Ajahn Man, Ajahn Chah, and the Buddha. This is the type, these are the iconic, these are the icons of this tradition. Then we're criticized because we don't have any female forms in it. <clears throat> so we, uh, women feel offended because it's all male forms. And so then, then one can be offended by that if you want to be. But the thing is to be observe, you know, how attached one is to, you know, the, the view you have or the uh, uh, emotional reaction you have to the, to the icons, to the tradition, to the way you perceive it. Because this, this uh, form, it's, a, it's for use, for observing, for breaking through ignorance into seeing things as they really are. Giving perspective on the conditioned realm. And then we call this the deathless. So it's actually, you know, <clears throat> getting beyond conditioning is the deathless, amatta dhamma.
we can make endless problems about anything, you know, we're very good at it. And, uh, and you know, but we, if we keep doing that, then of course we're, we're just stuck in, you know, uh, bound into that limitation in the samsara vata. So the encouragement is to trust in awareness to observe the samsara vata, not to judge it, but observe it. Then the conventional forms that we've asked to enter, like taking upasampada or bapata ordinations, they're, they're our determination to use the form for awareness, not to change the form so it, so nobody's offended by it. You know, there's a lot of movement to want to change everything so everybody's happy and there's nobody's offended. Or, then it no longer becomes Thai forest tradition. It becomes just, you know, bending everything so it pleases uh, uh, as many people as it's possible to do so. We all agree and we all want it like this. Or what I advise you to do is it, it, it puts boundaries. It makes us look at, at our own feelings of being offended or resentful or our own attachments and fixations on our conditioned identities. That's what it's for. It's a, uh, like Vinaya is all about limitation, boundary, that make us stop and observe rather than just going along with all our desires and wishes and aspirations. So I'm really encouraging you to, to get to the root, you know, get to the source, the causes of suffering. Don't, you know, we don't, don't exaggerate, don't proliferate around dukkha, around your own self all the time, about your feelings and things like this. But you, whatever you're feeling, fair enough, but be the observer rather than the owner the puto rather than this personality that that has these feelings and never transcends them but merely uh, indulges in them or suppresses them. <laughs>